Hey, this morning we uh, we wanted to jump right into the message. It was good to see you guys um, this morning. Um, <laughs> this morning, if you want to open your Bibles to Acts chapter five, that's where we're going to be. It's we've been going through a series on the Holy Spirit among us as a church, where God has imparted and given us His Spirit. In fact, the Word says that. It's, it's a guarantee of what's to come. In fact, it even says that this is how we know. This is how we know we're in the Lord. We know by the spirit that he gave us, that it defines who we are, that it's not just a part of who we are, but we, we know and we rely on the Holy Spirit for our, our lives. But the Holy Spirit isn't just something for us personally and individually, but the Holy Spirit is something that we share as well. That the way that we relate to one another is a reflection of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And so, Brandon here, the way that we relate as friends and as brothers should show the Holy Spirit to the world that's around us. Um, and so oftentimes it can look like this in the church. He has the Holy Spirit, I have the Holy Spirit, but nothing is shown here. The way that we relate to one another reflects the world and the kind of friendships that the world have. In fact, it's, it's, things of the world kind of look selfish they devour one another. They're looking to just be competitive with one another. Not really selfless and sacrificial the same way that Jesus was. But when you're living in the Spirit, you share that among the people around you. And that's what defines us by the way that we love one another. And we've been, last week we talked about giving. If you remember that, that, that was something that identifies who we are. And this week, it, it's, a, it's a continuation of that story. It's a specific story that happened in... Um, if I could actually just give you guys a heads up for this week, this is, this is not a light scripture by any means. This is not the one that you hang on your wall <laughs> and like with little shepherds, pastel pastures, you know, of that nature. This is, a, this is a scripture that without any context, you could walk away from it saying that God hates me. God is going to kill me. God condemns me. You could walk away saying that God is, is unjust and unfair. You could walk away feeling condemned from a message like this, which is why we want to give context. We want to look at this because one of the things that we appreciate about the Bible is that it doesn't shy away. When it, the disciple Luke put together the book of Acts, he's the one who put it together. And obviously he didn't record every single story that happened in all the years that happened with the early church, which means there were certain stories that he chose to put in here. And I love the fact that when you're putting together these stories, they didn't leave out all the hard stuff or the bad stuff or the messy stuff. But instead, it put it in as it is. Because the truth of the matter is life is messy. Life is hard. Life can be difficult. Some of us are walking right now in the condemnation of life. You think God hates you. Or you think God is mad at you because of something that you did. Some people in this room are in here thinking that God had loved them, but he doesn't anymore. And to that, we would just say that God loves everyone in this room, and that's a lie. That's a lie. And what you see from this story is one that although the world is real ar around us, it's messy, God is also real. And what he does is real around us. And so um, I would just say, let's be heads up for this message this morning because we're going to dive into deep topics. I, we're, not, we're not a people of condemnation. We're a people of conviction. Um, there's a difference between being convicted and being condemned. Condemned means you're done, get out. 
That's what condemnation is. And some of you think God is going, you're done, get out. Conviction is, hey, do you look at that in your life. You need to change that. Or, hey, you're blind to this in your life right now, and you need to change that so we can be closer. Conviction is something that the Holy Spirit does in our lives, and praise God for it. I want to, if you don't feel a conviction of the Holy Spirit, it's something that you want to learn how to feel and press into, because without conviction, you'll just be numb, and you'll do whatever you want. But conviction is something that allows for God to speak to us, truly speak to us, and we're, we're not a people that are just going to tell you what you want to hear, but love is truly telling everything, the good and the hard stuff. In fact, it, it would even say in the Bible that there is, when it's talking about false teachers and false churches, it says people will gather around just to hear what they want to hear. It's like they gather around just to tell them exactly what they want to hear, not truth necessarily. But the truth is something that God has in store for us, and he even speaks to us because he loves us enough to share in that. And so this morning, it's going to be a truthful message, but it's also going to be one that reveals God's love for us as well. And so it will kind of look like this, like that. It will look like it's going down, but then we will be able to give a full scope for everything. Does that sound good to everybody here? I just want you guys to be ready for that. Um, Can you nod if you know? I'm like a Acts 5. Acts 5 comes right out of a story. Remember, it talked about giving. It talked about a story of a man named Barnabas selling his whole field. And now we come to verse 1 of chapter 5, and this is what the Bible says. Now a man named Ananias, together with his wife, Sapphira, also sold a piece of property. So coming out of the story of Barnabas, it's like, now this couple also sold property. But listen to this. With his wife's full knowledge, he kept back part of the money for himself, but brought the rest and put it at the apostles' feet. And then Peter said, Ananias, how is it that Satan has so filled your heart that you have lied to the Holy Spirit and have kept for yourself some of the money you received for the land? Didn't it belong to you before it was sold? And after it was sold, wasn't the money at your disposal? What made you think of doing such a thing? You have not lied just to human beings, but to God. And when Ananias heard this, he fell and died. And great fear seized all who heard what had happened. Then some young men came forward, wrapped up his body, and carried him out and buried him. About three hours later, his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. Peter asked her, tell me, is this the price you and Ananias got for the land? Yes, she said, that is the price, she lied. Peter said to her, how could you conspire to test the spirit of the Lord? Listen, the feet of the men who buried your husband are at the door, and they will carry you out also. And at that moment, she fell down at his feet and died. Then the young men came in, and finding her dead, carried her out and buried her beside her husband. Great fear seized the whole church and all who heard about those events. Can you guys say amen with me? I appreciate that the Bible doesn't shy away from stories like this. And the truth of the matter is, churches have messy and bad days too. Not every day is always a good day when you're dealing with human beings. Because if what we preach is true, that mankind is utterly sinful, that means that even the people inside the church, people who make up the church, stumble and fall and mess up. 
and need reconciliation and forgiveness and whatnot. The church has spots as well. The difference between the church and the world isn't in the number of spots. It's in the fact that who do we bring our spots to for cleansing? When you, re- when you read this, I want to talk about one specific aspect before getting into kind of the beef of the scripture because it could be easy to read a story and say, okay, two people lied. They didn't kill anyone. They didn't. That wasn't a major league sin. However, why did God kill them? Because it could be easy to walk away and say God was just unfair. God killed someone because I've done a lot worse than lying in my lives. Amen? Have you guys done a lot worse than lying in your lives? Because that makes me read the story and go, why doesn't God kill me? Or does God want to kill me? And I want to talk about this for a second with you guys because this is an important thing to start before we talk through the scripture. Why did they die? I would say that this, in light of reading this story, just to walk through it one more time, Ananias and Sapphira, they sold a field, but they kept half the, part of the money back, and they said, here's all the money for the field. Look at us gathering in faith. Look at how selfless we are. But they kept the money to themselves. They tried to portray themselves one way and hide back another. Peter is right there, and he sees through it, and he says, how could you, how could you lie to God? He's like, you didn't just lie to people, but you lied to God. And then when he talks to Sapphira, he asks Sapphira, showing her the amount, and he says, is this everything? And she lies to Peter's face and says, yeah, that's everything. And he says, how could you, he uses the word, how could you test the spirit of the Lord? And the same fate awakes her, and it says that the church heard about this, and it says, a great fear seized them. And to that, in this story, why, does, why do things like this happen I would, I would explain it in this way. I would explain God's justice to you guys. Because there are many characteristics of who God is. God is loving. He's caring. He's truthful. He's integrous. He's honest. God doesn't lie. God is merciful. But God is also just. Justice is a word that we don't often talk about when we think about God. But it truly is who he is. He's perfectly just. And is, that means that he's it's not in his nature to be unfair, that he's, he's perfect, absolutely perfect in the way that he shows justice to people, that that's a part of who he is. It's not in his characteristic to be unjust. He can't be because that's who he is. In fact, he is so just in the way that he addresses things that it says that a day is going to come when we see the full justice of God happening in this world, and we're going to praise him. In Revelation 16, it actually tells of a scripture where God is judging the world. And it says an angel praises his name and he opens up praises to God because of the justice. Because it's marvelous and it's powerful and it's revealing that God, you do care. God, you actually do care about those who were forgotten or those who were wronged in this world. Justice is used to reflect the character of God. And when I would say that, when it comes to what is he just with? He's justice with sin, and he's just with sin in this way. Sin deserves a punishment. That's why God didn't want us to walk into sin in the first place, because sin is something we think it's just merely walking into something, but it costs something to walk out of it. Sin is something that says the price for sin is death. And so when you talk about sin, when you talk about shortcomings, sin is something that deserves death in our lives. And what I would say is that Dare I say, we all deserve death right now for our own sins. So think about it this way. Say you've never sinned in your life. Not true. We've all sinned. 
But say you didn't, and you walked down to the store, and you took a 10-cent piece of gum from the 7-Eleven. You deserve death for that. You deserve death for that because that's sin. See, sin and death are separations from God. And any little bit of sin in our lives, even a little white lie, showing up to something a minute later than you said you would, that makes you worthy of death. That makes you worthy of death, which makes you think of, oh, my word, what are all the little things that happen in my life that I don't even know about? See, sin is something that permeates our lives. It's not something you can outperfect and earn your own salvation because God goes, no, I actually know how deep and what sin is like in your nature. See, God gets that sin causes death. And so what you can make a case for is that God was perfectly just. That's what justice looks like for even the littlest of sins because God created us and that's separation from him. In fact, when you look at the cross, cross is justice for our sins. So when Jesus paid the price, he, he paid the price. The violent death, the shedding of his blood, his own murder of his body truly paid the price for death. God didn't just say, oh, forget about your sins. I'm not listening anymore. Like, and just not pay attention to it. He addressed it fully. There's a price that costs for all of our sins, and he paid it. Praise Jesus. See, justice is something Jesus understands that sin condemns us, which is why God sent his son to pay the price for it. Justice is something that's seen um, relatively in our lives. Justice is something that we only see from a certain point of view in our lives. Um, but God sees it from a completely different scope. And like everything in our lives that we trust God with because he's above everything and he knows all things, so we trust God with justice as well. And so when you look at things around the world that happen and you go, God, why did that happen? You know, or why didn't this happen? There's a trusting of God in that. In fact, I heard it was... Uh, I heard it was interesting. I have a, a friend of mine who was like, why does, why does God take life? You know, like, I read the Bible and I see God taking the lives of people who were so-called wicked. Isn't that terrible? And then it's those same people that turn around and say, you know, somebody needs to stop ISIS. Somebody needs to kill them. Somebody needs to stop them right there. Because there's something deep down within us that believes in justice. There's something deep down within us that wants justice. How many of you want to be unjustly treated in your lives? No one. Nobody wants to be forgotten about. In fact, I can remember I was watching a documentary, and it was talking about um, this lady that had murdered. It happened in the 70s. She had murdered um, a little girl, a 14-year-old girl. And she had gone to trial, and all she got was probation. She should have gotten life for it, but she got probation. And they showed the dad, and he just freaks out over it. And he's wailing, and he's crying, and he doesn't understand why this woman didn't get justice. And the judge walks up to him and says, well, I, I just wanted to bring peace to the situation. And he said something I will never forget. He said, how can there be peace without justice? And there can't be, because it's only true justice. It's only God coming back and righting everything that was wrong, bringing everything before him that can truly make everything right before him. See, 
What it says in Romans 2.2 2 is that when God judges, we know that God's judgment against those who do such things are based on truth. God's judgment is based on seeing everything. It's based on truth around us. In fact, God is someone who takes everything into consideration. God sees how everyone is treated, not just one person, not just one side. I remember one time in our, when I was over the college house here, there was a kid in the house who was in complete rebellion, complete rebellion in the house. And I remember me and the pastor had to decide what to do, and we had shown grace, and, but, and he kept defying, he kept defying, he kept hurting people, and we wondered, well, if we kicked him out, if we asked him to leave, what, what would that do to him? Should we protect him, or would that be too mean for him? But then we looked at the other people in the house who were suffering at the hands of that person, and I remember thinking, that's not fair to the rest of the people to say, you can stay in here and not have to go through discipline or consequences at the means of people who are living here. And so justice, in a sense, takes into consideration everyone, everyone that's around. God is truly fair as well. So when you read this story and you, you see why did God do that, one, it's a matter of trusting his justice. But two, it's, it's something taking everyone into consideration. In fact, one commentary on this scripture that I read, it said that God had to do that because the church had just started and here were people that were deceiving and trying to outdo the Holy Spirit. And had God let them get away with it, that would have discredited everything that the Holy Spirit would have done. This brought everybody to a place of understanding that God was real and that God was actively amongst them. And what you see here is you see that great fear seized all of them. And then a couple verses down, it said, no one else dared to join them, even though they were highly regarded by the people, is what it says. It said that, you know, they were highly regarded because of what was happening amongst them. And then it says, nevertheless, listen to this, nevertheless, more and more men and women believed in the Lord and were added to their number. It says that even in that great fear, and even in that justice, that more and more people were added to their number. Why? Why does that happen after an event like that? It's because people realize God is just. And when God provides for you, he provides everything for you. He won't leave you at the hands. He won't abandon you. He won't forsake you. God remembers everything, which is why he calls us to trust in him, even at the hands of persecution. We talked about persecution a couple weeks ago. So how could we trust a God at the hands of persecution, and love those who, who may hate us, because God is our justifier. So when you read through the story, that's, that's something I just wanted to touch on um, in light of what happened, because God is just in everything that he does, and he has a perspective that's different from us, and so to read this and to go, why did that happen? You know, that's something... That what we entrust to God in that. We trust God's justice in everything, and we find hope and we find power in that. But also know this, God's justice leads us closer to him. You saw more people being added to the church in the midst of that justice, and that's what God does to us. Gives us more assurance of who he is and what he wants for us in our lives. And with that, when you read the story of the downfall and the sin that they committed, it wasn't that they didn't bring enough money. It wasn't that they weren't good enough wasn't that they didn't bring as much as Barnabas, but it was because they were dishonest. They pretended to give more than they really did to impress the church. 
In fact, I would say that this is the first recorded instance of Christian fakeness in the Bible. Can you say amen with me? This is the first recorded people coming forward saying, this is how good I am, this is how Christian I am, this is how amazing I am. And yet, deep down, they really weren't. They were, they were kind of puffing up their chests, trying to be more than they really were. And Peter saw right through it, through the power of the Holy Spirit. Christian fakeness is one of the biggest issues in coming to church and a part of our church and part of our group. It's not necessarily the things coming and trying to persecute us on the outside that bring us down, but it's the pride on the inside that is probably the most detrimental thing to the church, the fakeness inside. Every morning when I get up, I ask myself what kind of person I'm becoming. I started to be full-time ministry a couple years ago, and every day since I've been in it, I've asked myself, what kind of person am I becoming in my leadership? Am I becoming prideful? Am I becoming sharp? Am I becoming into myself? Am I becoming superficial? Am I becoming prideful? It's a question I ask myself every day and check every day. Some days, I don't like the answer that I have to give myself. I don't like asking that of the people closest to me because I don't like their answers either. But I absolutely need to do it because it's detrimental to myself and it's detrimental to the people around us. It's one of the most detrimental and hardest things to walk with with students. There's, there's no amount of sin in this room that would scare me or make my job difficult. But fakeness, hiding, lying, it makes church so much more difficult. Why? Because it's hiding yourself from God and it's hiding yourself from one another. When you look at Jesus... You look at Jesus' attitude towards certain people. Why do you think Jesus was so hard against Pharisees? Why do you think he was so graceful to tax collectors? Let me explain why. Pharisees pretended to be something that they weren't. They tried to take the spiritual high ground on people. That's why Jesus was so keen on humbling them. Now here's tax collectors with equal amount of sin, if not worse or more sin, in their deposit or in their bank. And yet, here they are open about it. Yeah, I'm a mess. And yet, Jesus would be filled with compassion for them. So do you see the difference between having sin in your life and being fake about who you are? Christianity is something that's not fake by any means, nor is it intended to be fake. And when it becomes fake, which is something we're all in danger in every day, every day we have to check ourselves and bring that before the Lord. And we can do that honestly, no matter what the answer is, because of God's grace. It's something that if it infiltrates our church, you see messes like this happening. This was a messy, this was a bad day for the church. And yet God's grace still covered it. And God doesn't want that for us. God doesn't want a story like this to happen for us. When, it, when we talk about fakeness, I would say that if you wonder what fakeness is or how it comes to be, how does someone who's so truly genuine in the Lord over time become fake? Or how does someone who's truly fake or doesn't understand truly come to a place of genuine faith? And might I remind you as well, fakeness isn't something that's intentional. Oftentimes it comes from drifting in certain areas of our lives. It can come from fears or insecurities that are not brought to the Lord yet in our lives. There are often times in our lives where we're walking with the Lord and then all of a sudden an insecurity comes out of us. You could be walking with the Lord your entire life and all of a sudden, bam, you have to deal with stuff in your own heart. I get that. I deal with stuff all the time. I'm dealing with stuff in my life right now, too. 
for the sake of the king and for the sake of his goodness. I would say that one of the things that's detrimental to fakeness, this is why I wanted to warn you guys about this message because it's a little bit heavier, but I would say that pride gives life to fakeness. That if fakeness was a person, pride would be the blood. If pride or if fakeness was a tree, pride would be the vines providing life to the tree. It allows it to start and it allows it to grow. You disconnect pride, fakeness goes away. You begin living in humility, pride goes away. And so when you, when you look at a scripture like this, you see pride happening. You see people taking pride in trying to look a certain way. Ananias and Sapphira tried to look a certain way. They should have just gave just that half amount and said it was half. But they wanted to look better in the eyes of the church. And so in front of the apostles, they brought this and lied before them. Why did they lie? Because they wanted to look a certain way. See, the definition of pride in the Bible is this. It's defined as arrogance, and it's defined as presumption. Presumption's an interesting one, both in attitude and in action. What, with that one, I would just say presumption like, God, I know. God, I know. Presumption that you have it handled more than God. How many of you have ever told God what he needs to know? God, this is what, God, this is what, God, this is how I am. And he's like, really? I did not know that. I just created the universe. Go on, you know. No. It's this attitude and it's arrogance. It's thinking of yourself greater than what you really are. In fact, there are scriptures in the Bible in Romans, um, or in Galatians 6.2, it's talking about, it's not up on the screen, but Galatians 6.2, it talks about restoring someone who has sinned. And then it says, if anyone who thinks they're anything <laughs> needs to check himself, is what Paul says. It's like, if you think you're something greater than what God says, you need to check yourself. Because that's pride. And so what are symptoms of pride? I just put together a little bit of lists. I put scriptures next to them. Um, I'm not going to go through the scriptures. Haha. Uh-huh. But I have them so that you can go through them on your own time because it talks about scriptures or stories that relate to it. The first one I would just say is this. What are symptoms of pride in your life? Maybe you're sitting here and you go, I have no idea where to start with pride. How would I even know I'm prideful in my life? First would start with this, fault finding. First one is, are you, are you seeking out faults in other people? When you look at a person in front of you, what do you see in them? Are you looking at their faults? Are you looking at the ways that they just fall short? Is that the way that you kind of wrap your head around people? Because fault finding is this. Sometimes it's easier to deal with your own insecurities when you're looking at the faults of other people. Yeah, I'm a complete wreck, but so are they. Two wrongs don't make a right. Two wrecks don't make everything healed. That's just justifying your own pride in your life. And the more that you do fault finding, the more you grow in that, the more you're building a wall from addressing your own brokenness in your life. In fact, Matthew 7, 1, 5, that's the story of the plank. It says, why are you looking at a splinter in someone's eye when you have a plank in your own eye? Look at the difference between a splinter and a plank. Because it's like, look what's in your life. And you're like, no. You need to address yourself. And that's not what you're looking for in other people. The other one is this. I would say being superficial or being duplicit. By that, what I mean is you're looking at the outer things. The outer things are valuable to you. Now, this doesn't mean that if you dress well or do your hair or your makeup, believe me, I know from Friday, okay, that 
that you're superficial. What it does mean is this. If your value comes from how you dress, how your hair looks like, how athletic you are, things that are on the outside and not your heart, that is being superficial. That is being superficial. In fact, I would just even say social media is one of the most, I'd say it's gas on the fire. It allows for people to be more superficial than they ever knew. And it, it's in a way, it's like if you're superficial with a candle, here's your Instagram. And it's being shown to the entire world. Pictures of yourself making yourself look a certain way, finding value from the responses of it. But that's not who you are. Who you are is your heart no matter how you look, no matter what your life looks like. And God wants to address us in our heart. But if you start, if you only say, God, you get the outside, then you're going to look really clean on the outside but disgusting on the inside. That's something I would just say as someone who has grown up in this church, someone who's volunteered in this church, someone who has been a part of this family, one of the hardest things that I have seen is I've watched good people, genuine people, people who did not care how they looked, over time, step by step, lose themselves to outward superficial things. In a sense, they become more about the outside. They become about being the right kind of person in a certain place. And that's why duplicit's up there as well. You're one way inside here, but you're something else in the other place. And you don't really know who you are. Integrity means that you're the same person every single circumstance. You're the same kind of person before your parents as you are before your pastor. You're the same kind of person when no one's looking as when everyone else is looking. See, when you understand that God wants to make me the same that's where humility begins to enter into the picture. It's a difficult thing to see. You know, I feel like for me reading this story and reading about Peter and knowing when people are lying and what not lying, I've been in that position before with students and leaders. Where, and that's a tough thing to be in because it's like, why are you pretending to be something you're not? Why do you think that, why are you trying to lie to a human being when this is about something before you and God? Your goal isn't to impress me. It's not to impress anyone. It's to please the Lord. That's why superficial is so dangerous. The other thing I would say as well is being defensive, being easily offended. You know, something about being a Christian, and it's not saying that you can't be hurt because we are definitely people that get hurt, and that's, that's something we bring before the Lord. We don't deny our feelings as believers in Jesus, but we give up our right to be offended. We give up our right to be offended. You hold on to offense, and it will eat you alive. It will devour you. You begin to get defensive. Defensiveness is just guarding something that's actually wrong in your lives. Maybe there is something, and you're just too scared to address it. Maybe you're too scared to be able to do something about it. And so instead, you become really, really defensive. In fact, I want to tell a funny story about a friend of mine um, they were listening to a sermon. It was, it was my sister. She was listening um, to a sermon of a pastor she knew. And the pastor was talking about something relevant to something going on in her life. And so she was saying, she goes, oh, is he addressing me personally? And so she began to become really offended. He, the pastor wasn't. The pastor was just addressing it. But she thought, oh, he's talking about me personally. And so she went to my mom. I love my mom, by the way. Do you love your mom? Yeah. And my mom had the mic drop moment of the year when this happened. Because she goes, I think he was talking about me. And she's complaining. And my mom just is working. And she just stops. And she turns and she goes, 
He wasn't addressing you. That was the Holy Spirit trying to get a hold of your life. And just went back to her word. <laughs> Dang. But oftentimes we get so defensive. Why are you addressing this? And it's because the Holy Spirit's trying to get a hold of you. It's trying to address that pride that's in your life or that thing that's holding you back. Humility is being open to that. The other one I would just say is being desperate for attention. Being desperate to justify yourselves by being seen by the people around you. Sometimes that one can come from feeling unjust or you've been treated unjustly. With that, I would just say, you know, this is a place where maybe you want all the attention on you. Maybe you're using God and the things around you in your life as a means to you. The other one I would just say is lying. Lying is another one. The little ones and the big ones. Just bending everything just towards your way. And the scary thing about lying is this, which is why we have to check our hearts. This is why I check my heart every morning, every day. Because the more you lie, the more easy it becomes. It's scientifically proven that if you lie more, it becomes easier on your conscience to lie. In fact, it would even say that people who lie, it says that their, their conscience is seared like hot iron. It's like so hard that they can't even feel when they're lying anymore. And we don't want to be hard before the Lord in that. We want to have soft hearts before Jesus. So with that, I just want to say this. I know this message has been a little bit heavier, and that's if you feel convicted in this room, that's good. That's the Holy Spirit convicting you. But I want to remind you of this as well. If everyone was treated like Ananias and Sapphira, why are there not a ton of coffins downstairs? That would be an interesting halftime going downstairs. But truly, why are we all here when we know that our lives have been affected as much. Elisa, can you come back up? It's because of this. In the same way that God is perfectly just, God is perfectly merciful. And if you ask yourself, how does justice and mercy dwell together? It dwells like this. When justice and mercy are perfectly with one another, it's in the picture of the cross. Because the cross is a picture of absolute justice being brought forth, but it's also a picture of absolute mercy of God in our lives. Even in all of our shortcomings, even in the points where we hurt ourselves so badly, even when places when you've been hurt by people around you, places where you've been hurt by leaders in your lives, and it's the people closest to you that hurt you the most, God has grace and God has mercy. God truly covers us in that. Pursuing and being like Jesus in those times means that you need to accept the grace that God has over your lives. Church is not perfect by any means. It's made up of imperfect people. But know this, God is graceful to us and God loves us and he shows mercy to us. Maybe in this room you've been hurt by people within the church. Maybe you've been hurt by people in your lives and it's a point of forgiveness. Maybe you've let down people in your lives. Maybe you're realizing through all of this that you're letting down people. Maybe you realize you have a lot more pride in your life than you think. But let me just tell you this. God has all the more grace for you. God has all the more grace for you in your lives. Grace allows us to be in process. Grace allows us to get up in the morning and say, God, how's my heart? And to let him answer that. So I would just say this going through those five things. This is what it looks like in those symptoms. First one would be, in the point of fault finding, show grace and see others for their strengths. If you're, if you're someone who's looking for faults of people around you, 
Maybe you need to start showing grace for those people who have splinters in their eyes or have planks in their eyes and start looking for the good in them. God looks at the best of us and he sees the best in us. And that's what we're called to do exactly the same in our own lives as well. The other side of it, looking at superficial and being duplicit, is this, being genuine before God and being genuine before other people. It's hard to be genuine with other people if you're not being genuine with God. So it's a place of just being honest, being yourself, weaknesses and all, spots and everything, because God loves you just the way that you are. The other one comes with defensiveness. It's being secure in yourself. Um, It's being secure in how God feels about you and being able to encourage others. You know, one of the ways I know in my life that I'm being insecure is that I stop encouraging the people around me because I can't encourage others, you know, if I don't know who I am because I'm taking anything from myself. That's a simple way that you can pursue humility in the Lord. The other comes with, if you're desperate for attention, be desperate for others to be recognized and built up. Be desperate for the people around you in your lives. Be desperate for one another to know the Lord and to be built up and know who he is. And then the last one I would just say, I know I'm running through these guys, but with lying, it's as simple as living in truth about yourself and others. Lying starts, if you're struggling with lying to others, it starts because you're lying to yourself before God. So if you're truthful before God, God, this is what I am, this is what I'm struggling with, then you can be truthful before others. And that is a place of rejoicing. That's a place of knowing who you are and experiencing the peace of God because you're being yourself, humbling yourself before him. And so if you guys would want to put down your Bibles... Go ahead and bow your heads with me. We There is a response in that. When we read stories like this, we understand that that's not everything that God wants us to experience. We understand that life is messy and that mess awaits us in our hearts, that we're going to hurt one another. But God, we know that we want to bring everything to you. Lord, we know that, um, God, we know that We want to battle against pride, pride in ourselves. Lord, maybe we're using pride as a point to just guard our own hearts from truly addressing our weaknesses. If this morning you're praying and you have a weakness in your life that you've been guarding, maybe you're trying to act a certain way, maybe you've been fault-finding, maybe you've been doing one of those symptoms just to hide yourself from being who you truly are before the the God of the universe. If that's you, just give that up to him. If there's something you need to give up, maybe you were convicted by the Holy Spirit, then that's a thing that you get to say, Jesus, I, I ask that you would enter into this place. Would you forgive me? God, I repent. I want to change that before you. God rejoices in repentance because it draws us closer to him, and that means we're turning towards him. Lord, this morning we offer our hearts to you. God, we don't just want to avoid pride, but we want to pursue humility because, Lord, you pursue humility with us. God, we trust you. Lord, we trust you even when we make mistakes, Lord, that your grace covers us. Lord, we know that when we fall short, that, God, you're there to pick us up. God, that's how your love and your grace works in our lives. And so, Lord, today we want to be, be a people that are humble before you because your word says that those who exalt themselves will be humbled, but those who humble themselves will be exalted. Lord, we want you to exalt us. We don't want to exalt ourselves, Lord. Lord, that's our prayer, and we love you. In Jesus' name, we pray together. Everyone said, hey.